how was your week? How was Thanksgiving? You guys get to celebrate in some way? I, I realize this year looks a little bit different uh, than many Thanksgivings that we've had before, uh, but nonetheless, uh, we celebrate uh, in, in some special way to mark this day of gratitude and thanks. Um, did any of you tune into the Thanksgiving Day Parade? Yeah, a, f a few. Uh, this is something that I remember watching year after year. Um, every, every year, w waking up on Thanksgiving morning with that playing in the background, and there's the musical numbers, the, the dancers, the, the big floats, and all of that. But, but what I remember most is the end of the parade. Uh, every year, the parade concludes with Santa Claus coming in, waving all joyfully like he's conducting some kind of a chorus, as he officially ushers in the official start of the Christmas season. And every year, I would watch his arrival at the parade with wonder, and then I would impatiently wait all month for Santa to return with stockings and, and goodies and gifts to put under the tree right? And that in-between time, between his arrival in the parade and his return on Christmas, just dragged on and on as I waited for it, right? And this was all fun and games in childhood. But as those who hope in Christ, we know something of this waiting. We know something far deeper and truer than our culture's holiday traditions of parades and presents. We know what it is to wait between the time of arrival and the time of return. We look back in wonder at the miraculous arrival of Jesus, but we also eagerly ache for his return. And in the Christian tradition, that in-between time of waiting between arrival and return is marked by the season of Advent. You see, Advent is not just a prelude to Christmas. It's not just kind of a churchy version of all this long, drawn-out holiday season that everyone's doing. Advent is a time for us to pause and remember that we're waiting for Jesus to return. We are waiting with eager longing for God to come and finally make all things right. And as we wait for God to make things right, we often become painfully aware of just how wrong things are. I mean, waiting, after all, is, is really hard work, right? There is this mix of joy, but also grief. There's anticipation, but sometimes there can even be anger, right? There's a fine line between, I can't wait to see you, and where are you, right? And this fine line is the line that we walk during Advent, we move between the wonder of Christ's first arrival and the longing for his return. 
So for these next few weeks, we will walk this line together as we venture through the season of Advent together. And much of the church has traditionally reflected on passages from Isaiah during the Advent season. So if you have your Bible, open up to Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64 is where we're, we're headed this morning. In its original context, Isaiah captures the hope and the longing of the people of Israel as they waited in exile. And, and then later on, the early Christians picked up Isaiah and they saw a great deal of Jesus in this book because they were also waiting and longing for his return. In fact, next to the Psalms, the book of Isaiah is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. The Psalms and Isaiah, again and again. And so, so let's read from Isaiah 64 this morning as we enter into this Advent season of hope and longing. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down the mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways, but you are angry and we sinned because you hid yourself we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. So do not be exceedingly angry, O oh Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider... We are all your people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this season that we wait with eager longing for your return. God, I pray that as we reflect on the words of this text, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. So this passage might feel a little bleak, right? But that's the difference between Advent and Christmas. Advent is no holiday Hallmark movie with nice warm fuzzies. It's, it's a sobering time of waiting and longing. The author and, and preacher Fleming Rutledge describes it this way. She says, Advent begins in the dark. Advent begins in the dark. Advent teaches us to delay Christmas in order to experience it truly when it finally comes. Advent is designed to show that the meaning of Christmas is diminished to the vanishing point if we are not willing to take a fearless inventory of the darkness. She goes on to say the authentically hopeful Christmas spirit has not looked away from the darkness, but straight into it. The true and victorious Christmas spirit does not look away from death, but directly at it. Otherwise, the message is cheap and false. And so this is what our passage does today. It takes an inventory of the darkness. Running through this passage are two sobering and, and challenging questions. One of them is the question, where is God? Where is God? And the other question is, what are we doing? What are we doing? Right? And so I want to consider these two questions as we reflect on this passage together today. So first, where is God? Where is God? Well, in, in its original context, this passage was a plea for God to act and rescue his people amidst their exile. And this becomes clear as we look at the verses immediately before and immediately after the passage that we read. Right? And in 63, verse 18, the people lament. They say, our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. And then after our passage in 64, verse 10, they say, your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, the temple, where our ancestors praised you, has been burned by fire, and all our pleasant places have become ruins. You see, in, in the days of exile, Jerusalem had been invaded. The temple had been destroyed, and the people were dispersed from one another. The place that was once filled with wonder and worship now lay desolate and empty. With the temple destroyed and their worship diminished, the people ask the question, where is God? Where is God? And, and I wonder if this year we don't feel all that different. 
I mean, for six months this year, we didn't gather together. And even now that some of us are gathering, many of us remain dispersed. In the face of so much sickness and death across the world, we might just wonder ourselves, where is God? Where is God in all of this? And so it's from this place of disorientation and desolation that the people cry out in verse 1, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Can you hear the longing in these words? This deep desire in these words. This is the essential prayer of Advent. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Oh, that this would not be all that there is. Oh, that you would break into this world and set all these wrong things right. This is the prayer of Advent. And so from this, the passage moves to this powerful imagery. It goes on to say, So that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood, and the fire causes water to boil. And so this prayer is that God would come and transform the world, that he would burn away all the mess, and that he would purify this poisoned water. And then there's this image of quaking mountains. And for the people of Israel, this image calls to mind the memory of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. This is the place where they stopped after God delivered them from Egypt. And if you remember, Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God, receive the Ten Commandments and, and, and the law, make covenant with God and the people. And this event is described in Exodus 24. And again and again, the text emphasizes that there is a great cloud covering the mountain. And so the rest of Israel, down at the foot of the mountain, couldn't see anything that was going on up there. They had no idea. And so as they waited at the bottom, God was hidden from them. And they didn't know where God was. And this is precisely what our passage in Isaiah says. At the end of verse 5, and then again in verse 7, it says that God has hidden himself. That God's face is hidden from his people. And I wonder, have any of you felt this way before? You know, you, you go to church, you, you try to pray, but you just feel like God isn't there. God is absent. God is, is hidden. Some of you may know that feeling very well. You know that divine ache, that longing. But then there, there may be others who, who you know, you, you feel like talking about God's absence is, you know, anathema. This is, why, why would you say that? That's basically atheism. And so you're very quick to jump in. But, you know, God has revealed himself in Jesus. 
You know, God does reveal himself through community. Let me tell you all that God's doing in my life. God has given us scripture, right? And all of that is true. All of that is absolutely true. But I want to warn us to not try to be more holy than Holy Scripture. Because here, in the Bible, on these very pages, we are reading about a people who feel God's absence. A people who feel like God is hidden from them. I mean, even Jesus felt this, didn't he? As he hung on the cross, even Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, surely we are not more holy than he is. Surely we are not more in tune with God's presence than Jesus. And so this season of Advent is one where we ask the question, God, where are you? Where are you? And from that place, we cry out, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. But we don't always respond to darkness that way, do we? With prayer and petition. And neither did they. I mean, recall again the story of Mount Sinai. Moses is up in this mountain and, and cloud for 40 days. And what happens down below during that time? The people grew restless. They turned to Aaron and compelled him to make idols for them to worship. And so he obliged taking a collection of gold and forging it into a golden calf that people prayed to and worshipped. And this is the same story that's being retold here in Isaiah 64. Verse 5 says, We sinned because you hid yourself. We transgressed. And it goes on to say in verse 6, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. You see, this passage wrestles with the question, where is God? But it also asks the question, what are we doing? What are we doing? And, and so I wonder, how do we respond to darkness? I mean, some people actually welcome it all too gladly, living as if there is no God. And so, so they follow their own dark desires living and sin. And this can look like anything from seemingly innocent gossip to outright abuse, from little white lies to deceptive manipulation, from stray glances to faithless affairs, and everything in between. And the call of Advent is to wake up and realize that, that this darkness is not going to last. Dawn is coming. God will return to make all things right. And so repent 
of your sin and wait on the Lord. That's the call of this season. And so some people welcome the darkness and and live in it, but there are others who just deny the darkness. And and this is far more subtle. You know, rather than the living and outright sin, uh, many of us just sort of glaze over and tune out. You know, these folks cover up darkness with Christmas decorations, with shopping sprees, with the, the television glow of nice holiday movies. Instead of taking inventory of the darkness, they pretend like it doesn't exist. As if everything's just okay. And hear me, there, there's nothing wrong with Christmas decorations and, and presents and Christmas movies, right? I mean, that, that, that's all good fun. But don't let those things distract you from that deep ache of longing for Christ to return. The call of Advent, again, is to wake up and realize that this darkness is real. It's here, and we desperately need to put our hope in Jesus, who is the true light of the world. And so wherever you fall on that spectrum, this passage asks the question, what are we doing? The people confessed, we've sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. And it's like someone realizing they've done great harm. So the people cry out, oh, what have we done? What have we done? They couldn't see God, and so they sinned against him. Now their hands are dirty, and they're ashamed. It's kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden, who hid themselves after they sinned. And it makes me wonder, perhaps we can't see God not because he is hiding from us, but because we are hiding from him and our shame. See, we're doing everything we can to try to keep it together But the passage says, even our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. It's like someone trying to wipe down a table or shine up a good set of silver with a dirty rag. Right? You're doing the right thing. You keep scrubbing away and scrubbing. But it only gets dirtier and dirtier. And at some point, you're just pushing around the grime from one place to another. And so our only hope is this prayer. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. It's our only hope. So this passage asks the questions, where is God? And what are we doing? You know, it seems like God is missing. And we're just hopelessly lost in the dark. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, I think this passage does give us some clues, some things to follow. Look back at verses 4 and 5. 
It says, from ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. You see, when, when we are lost in the dark and cannot see God, we are to wait and to remember. To wait and to remember. We are to wait on God and to remember his character, who God is. These are the essential ingredients of hope. See, hope is different from positive thinking. Hope is different from optimism. It's not a mood. It's not a wish. Hope is a conviction and a commitment to reality. Hope doesn't deny reality, but rather acknowledges a reality that runs even deeper than everything that we see and experience. I learned this several years ago. I was in the middle of my divorce. My wife had, had left me. The divorce wasn't final yet, but the relationship was definitely over. And so on the one hand, you know, I could sort of aim for some kind of optimism that sort of pushes away grief and wishes for the best. Who knows what will happen? On the other hand, I could have just given in to, to cynicism and shame sort of assume that I was messed up, nothing is ever going to get any better. I was really tempted to give in to, to, to that. But the season of Advent had just started. And I was beginning to meditate on some of these very themes that we've been talking about this morning. And, and I, was, I was wondering about the true nature of hope. And it was almost six years ago to the day that I wrote down this reflection that I want to share with you all. In the midst of that season, meditating on hope, I wrote, hope is a reminder of two things, present distress and future relief. Present distress and future relief relief. Whenever these two things are pulled apart, we're left with either the perversion of cynicism, which doesn't believe in future relief, or the mirage of bliss, which remains ignorant of present distress. And it's far easier to fall one way or the other. But hope Hope presses us in to the agonizing weight for what is not yet, but will be. Hope presses us into that agonizing weight between this present distress and that coming future relief. And so to hope in God is to wait for God with patience and confident anticipation. 
But hope also calls us to remember. It calls us to remember. A professor that Caitlin and I had in grad school used to say that hope is remembering the future. Hope is remembering the future. Hope is being so confident in the future that we can actually remember it. This is hard to wrap your mind around, right? It doesn't mean we know exactly what is going to happen. Rather, it means that we are confident in who God is and we trust him. We trust him. This is what it means to hope in God. We can have such a confident hope in God that the future is already like a memory. We can remember and trust in who he is. And we see this at the very end of the passage that we've read. Look at verse 8. The voice of lament that's been sounding out throughout this entire passage breaks away and gives way to remembering. Verse 8, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. When God seems absent, and we are lost in sin and shame, we would do well to remember that God is our Father, and we are his beloved children. He is a potter, and we are the work of his hands. You see, sin doesn't get the last word. Shame does not dictate our identity. We belong to God. We are his children. The world is broken, yes. But God is molding it like clay into a beautiful and new creation. Advent begins in the dark, but the light is coming. That's what we hope for. This is who we hope in. Jesus, the light of the world. Until then, we wait, we remember, and we pray, O Lord, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Amen.